Amen. Will you pray with me? Our God, we give you thanks for your holiness, your greatness, your goodness. Even as we find ourselves in the midst of difficult moments in our lives, you are a steady presence. Help us, God, this day to fix our eyes on you, to listen carefully for how your spirit might speak to us during this time of reflection. All this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. When I first started going to school at Biola University, um, I met a friend in like my second week of class there named Michael Coleman, been one of my best friends for all my life, and I had the opportunity on a couple of occasions to meet his parents, and his mother was named Dolores, and Dolores was just a delightful, delightful woman. She was just remarkable, and over all the years that we uh, spent time with her we had her over to our house for holiday meals and gatherings especially after her husband had died and so we had lots of time to spend with dolores and she was just a joy but i always remember she used to tell michael something a word of sage advice if you will and the word of sage advice was this michael always remember life isn't fair and people are mean and it was always funny because it was such a dissonance from what her character was like. She was just the most mild-mannered, joyful, loving, tender woman. And then she would say, life isn't fair and people are mean. So over all these years, I've reflected on Dolores and the wisdom that she had. And she died probably a good, gosh, I don't know, 15 years ago. So may her memory truly be eternal. She speaks into the word that we want to focus on today, and it's a hard one. Remember when we started this series the week after Easter called Unstrung, I mentioned to you that during this time after Easter, we were going to steer into the skid. We were going to talk about some things that are hard to talk about. They're, they're theological and practical ideas that are sometimes hard for us to put words on. And so today we're going to struggle with something really important, I think, in our lives, and as you struggle with it, you may have varied perspectives. And so my hope is, is that even in the midst of what I say, or in spite of what I say, the Spirit of God will speak to you in your life and in your heart as we seek to find a way to respond to the midst of unjust suffering. We need to talk about the reality of unfairness and suffering. And when we start there, I have to take us back 42 years. I know that's a long time ago, isn't it? 42 years ago? Have I been alive that long? I have been alive that long. Last night, I went to go see the 40th anniversary showing of Return of the Jedi. What? How did that happen? I don't know. 42 years ago, a man named Harold Kushner, a rabbi, wrote a book. And the book he wrote was, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Any of you remember this book? Yeah, quite a few of you remember Rabbi Kushner's book. Now, in Kushner's book, he makes ultimately a theological argument. And the name of that argument is called the finite God theory. Got it? Finite God theory. So why do good, bad things happen to good people? And what does God have to do with it? 
Well, the finite God theory says God can't do anything about it. In other words, you read Kushner's entire book, you get to the end, and Kushner's conclusion is, that's life. Bad things happen. That's life. It's the way it is. Sounds a little like Dolores. Life is unfair. People are mean. But maybe there's something else we need to look for here. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, in the Sermon on the Mount, here's what he says. So that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he, God, causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So there's a way in which God has ordered the universe and so that the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous and a way in which God has ordered the universe in which it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. The thing about that verse in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, is Jesus doesn't describe anything about evil, calamity, or suffering, does he? It doesn't say anywhere in that verse that God sends the evil on the just and the unjust. It doesn't say that he sends calamity on the just and the unjust. What does God send? The sun and the rain. Now, in that particular world, those were signs of provision. Those were signs of God's grace and God's favor, that the sun would shine and the crops would grow and the rain would come and nourish and feed them, that God would be providing all that was necessary. Now, those images mean a little something different to us in 2023 as we live in an age of climate change, does it not? We can surely attest to what too much sun does and what too much rain does, especially after this year throughout much of the country. But nonetheless, in this text and in this time when Jesus spoke those words, those were signs of God's favor. The sun and the rain fell on everyone. So what of Dolores' statement? Life isn't fair and people are mean. Well, Peter gives us an exhortation in this short letter that we might learn from. We'll get to that in just a minute. But I would say, even in what Dolores has had to say and what Kushner argues in his book, there's something missing. There's a little nuance that's not there, and that's the part that I just want to explore for a little bit with you this morning. Probably about, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years ago, I helped write a book on parenting. And the book is called Positive Parenting, Keep It Positive. And one of the things we talk about in that book, when you're raising children, is the importance for children to experience the natural consequences of their actions. Natural consequences. Not necessarily punitive actions, but natural consequences of those actions. So, uh, for uh, I could give you a couple of examples, uh, but typically the ones I always think of are violent, like a brother punching a sister or something like that for whatever reason. But imagine a child engaged in some form of misconduct. And the idea of positive parenting is you allow the child to experience the natural consequences of what that is. So let's say that brother went into the sister's room and stole something out of it that she didn't know. Or that child took something from a parent's purse or wallet. And so what happens in this theory of positive parenting is that child needs to then own what they've done, confess what they've done to the people that they've done it against, they have to make restitution for what they've done. In other words, they have to fix what they did wrong. And they have to live with the, the reality that the community that they've broken, which is like their family, their family knows. Their family knows what they've done. 
and then offers them a pathway of grace and forgiveness out of it. And in my experience, it's much more difficult to let children experience the natural consequences of their actions than it is to just dish out some punitive form of punishment. Like, oh, well, you're, you're grounded for until you're 18. Because what happens sometimes is then the punishment or the punitive action doesn't correlate to what they did wrong and what, they, what needs correction. And so by trying to line those two things up, it helps children kind of forge their path, begin to figure out that actions have consequences. The things we do impact people around us, and it helps shape them into better adults. We hope. The reason I bring that up here is because I want to ask you a question. Is the world evil, or is it sick? Or is the world, at times, evil because it's sick? Now, how you think about those questions, I think, is important. Because the world in which we live, we obviously can lay claim to the fact that it's broken. Is it not? And I think all of us have had the experience of this week of having six days and 23 hours of that in one way or another. You've experienced that in a different dimension in different ways all through the week. And so when we come to worship, whether online or in this community, it doesn't need to be a news flash that we've had a, 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 a week in which we've experienced all those things. What we're talking about here specifically is the kind of suffering that takes place unjustly. The community that Peter is writing to is a community under persecution. They're under siege. And so they're trying to process how they're supposed to respond to the reality of suffering unjustly. What does it look like when I've been treated unfairly? What does it look like when people are mean to me? And we need to look no farther than the example of Jesus in this. We need to look no farther than the example of Jesus. Because Jesus was treated unjustly, suffered unfairly. And so Jesus provides this model for us how we can respond to these most difficult situations that we might face in our life. If all of this is true, then the way we see God at work in the midst of suffering and trouble and dilemma is different. Rather than perceiving a God who simply doles all of those out to people as some kind of card dealer, you got a good hand, I'm really sorry you got a bad hand, we begin to understand that there's something in this world in which human beings we have broken this world. And we break it by something we call, by a very important theological word, sin. Sin is how we break ourselves. Sin is how we break others. Sin is how we break how we see God. And so if sin does all of that damage and causes all of that evil and causes all of that brokenness in and around us, what is God's role in that? Is God's role to judge that sin? Or is God's role to heal that sin? Judge, doctor. And I find that for people, oftentimes the one that settles into their mind, at least at the front of their consciousness, oftentimes says so much more about the person than it does theologically about who God is. So I just want you to sit with this for a moment. What does it mean for us to understand God is primarily 
healer and less as judge because judgment we often think judgment is coming but what peter tells us here is that judgment has already come judgment was at the cross that's when the sin of the world was judged and the result of that judgment is grace and mercy healing for all of us so we have a choice to make we have a choice to make when we experience this kind of unfairness and suffering when we're on the wrong end of Dolores' statement, when life isn't fair and people are mean. So what do we do? Well, there are five choices that I think we need to make. It should only take me an hour or two to get through this, so just be patient. Half of you thought I was serious. <laughs> Such a rich text from 1 Peter 2. Number one. Our life must point to God. Our life must point to God. First Peter 2.19 says this, For this finds favor, if for the sake of a conscience toward God, a person endures grief when suffering unjustly. See, the underline in your mind the part of sake of conscience. You see, our life must point to God. So what happens sometimes is our arguments and fairness are not grounded in how God does things. Because if I were to reframe the question a little differently, um, what do you think all of us as human beings fairly deserve, fairly deserve for what we've done and what we do? Yeah, the Bible tells us death. For the wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, right? It says that in Paul's letter to the Romans. So this isn't about fairness, is it? We Wesleyans have a word to describe what this is about. Grace. This is about God's grace. Grace actually, in some ways, is the opposite of fairness. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting something from God that, in some ways, we shouldn't be getting, but God gives it out of compassion, out of mercy, out of the very character of who God is. So when we're, we find ourselves in the moments of unjust suffering, when life is unfair and people are mean, we point to God. See, life is not about suffering mitigation, nor is it about sin management. It is about experiencing the radical healing power of God at work in our life every single day. Oftentimes when people find themselves in the situation where life has been unfair and people are mean, their goal is to get out of that situation. First Peter doesn't tell us that's the solution. Get out as quick as you can. First Peter says, no, 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 no. No matter what happens, set your eye right on God. Our life must point to God. And the second thing Peter says, it's in verse 21 of chapter 2. For you have been called to this purpose, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. So number two, our choice to endure is purposeful. Our choice to endure is purposeful. You see, unjust and unfair suffering, unjust suffering have no purpose outside of God. And, and see, this is where I disagree with Rabbi Kushner. Because I think that in the calamities of life and in the blessings of life, there is a God to be found in those moments. That God is at work in those moments. God is moving and teaching and showing us new pathways 
And in the blessings and in the sufferings of life, we find a God who is in the, in the thick of it with us, walking with us, teaching us, shaping us, molding us, healing us, transforming us into the people we need to be. Our choice to endure is purposeful. And this is where I have the greatest amount of sorrow, is that when people come into deep calamity in their life and, and they know not God at all, what do they hold on to? Sometimes I just don't know. If we choose to place whatever is happening in our life before the Lord, God will redeem our pain and act justly. God is so good at redeeming human pain that there are actually moments when we're tricked into thinking that God sent the pain to begin with. God moves and works in every moment of every circumstance of every situation to bring healing and redemption and wholeness. This is God's work. And when we resist that work, God's movement of healing and wholeness and making justice in our lives, it feels like God is doing something wrong, that we're being punished. There's a great teaching in the history of the church of what heaven and hell are like. Food for thought for you. Heaven is experiencing the radiance and the fullness of God's love when that's what you were hoping for. And hell is experiencing the radiance and fullness of God when that is not what you were hoping for. Food for thought. Let's get to the third choice we get to make. It's also in that very same verse. The third choice, we seek the way of Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21 tells us this. For you have been called for this purpose, that's what we just read about, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in his steps. That word for example, I talked about this in the podcast earlier this week, that word for podcast has to do with tracing handwriting. And so even in the ancient world, one of the ways people would learn how to write script in the ancient world is over a piece of papyrus, which is what the, the document they used to write on, they would place a, a thin vellum over it. And then they would trace the letters on top of it, almost in the same way many of us, when we went to school as young children, we learned how to write letters by tracing them or reduplicating them. That's the same Greek word here. He literally says this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you a tracing that you would be able to follow in his steps. Left you an example of how to live in these moments of deep pain, of unjust suffering, when life is unfair and people are mean. Now, there's no martyr complex here, nor is there a Messiah complex here. There's only a singular focus on Jesus. Jesus left us the example so we walk in the example. What Jesus taught us to do, that's what we do. And so, as you heard Mary read the entire text a moment ago, when Jesus was beaten, did he beat people in return? No. When they reviled him, did he revile them in turn? No. This is important for us to sit with. We look at the example of Jesus as to find our way of how we choose to respond in those moments. The fourth choice we have to make 
is in 1 Peter 2.24. It says, And he himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. That little last part there, by his wounds you were healed, that's a quotation from the book of Isaiah, chapter 51. And what Peter's trying to help us understand here is that what, what is God doing? What passage does he cite from 1 Peter 51? I mean, from uh, Isaiah 51. By his wounds you were what? Say the word again. Healed. You see, the whole notion here is that healing flows from God when we live according to God's purpose, even in the midst of the most dire and difficult situation. It's very difficult for us to hold on to this because we've been trained so often to understand God as dominantly in a judicial model, that God is a judge, that God goes around judging things, that God goes around categorizing things and sorting things, and you're in and you're out, and you're in and you're out. And instead, the image we get in First Peter is a little different. God is at work healing humankind, healing this cosmos, healing the entire universe. That's what salvation means, is the fullness of of God's saving grace experienced by everyone in Jesus Christ. We carry the confidence that judgment will come, but God alone holds it and knows it. Every time the disciples asked Jesus when judgment would come, even at his ascension they asked him if judgment was going to come, Jesus' response was always the same. It's none of your business. (laughs) Always the same. It's none of your business. Don't worry about how this gets sorted. Worry about imitating Jesus, following in his footsteps. Number five. This is important. Never enable the sin of others. Say it with me. Never enable the sin of others. 1 Peter 2.23 says, And while being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten. But what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Never enabling the sin of others means that we, we don't deliberately put ourselves in the place of being the victim. That when evil is being done, we don't make ourselves the hapless victims of that. You see, there's a difference between having some sense of moral and spiritual integrity, and that at times that's going to intersect you with blessings and wonderful things in life, and other times that's going to intersect you with suffering and pain and hardship. The goal here isn't to adjust the course of following Jesus based on the circumstances that are happening to us. The idea here is is that we steer to the true north, the north star of Jesus. We follow him in every situation, in every moment. And if that takes us into people are mean, life is unfair, so be it. This This is the integrity of Jesus. Do you think that Jesus could have simply said, nah, I'm not going to Jerusalem. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to Tahiti. He could have. He did not. He could have, but he did not. This is some rough theology, I know. It's hard for us to process. 
But let's keep in mind when we talk about the sin of others, this is not the passage where social justice goes to die. (laughs) That you just allow the evil forces of this world to steamroll. No, no. Jesus did none of that. Did Jesus speak righteousness? Always. Did he confront evil? Always. Did he call things what they were? Always. And then when the consequences came, when when human evil said, ah, no, we're not going to have any of that, what does Jesus do? He doesn't deviate a bit. He stays right on course. And it results in his death. And then what happens three days later? Jesus literally looks at all the evil of the world, all of the sin of humanity, and says, is that all you got? Is that the best you can do? Jesus' resurrection is victory over all of those powers. And so we have a job to do as a church. We have to point to the most insidious forms of evil in our world today. Ooh, do you want to hear the list? I'm not going to give you the list. (laughs) Greed and envy might be on it. So in submission, we never forfeit the prophetic voice of God in the world. Those are five choices we get to make. Notice I said the word choice. Choice. We believe the most important gift that God has given us is his son Jesus Christ to save us. Among those gifts is our capacity to choose to accept that gift or not. To choose to walk in the way of Jesus or not. To make our choice every day whether we're going to walk as Jesus walked. These are hard choices for us to make. And sometimes when we give God all this kind of arbitrary authority, like God made that red light green for you, and didn't for someone else. I want you to follow that theology to its natural conclusion. God saved you from cancer, but not you. When we follow that theology out, it leads us to a place where the only answer we have left is that life is unfair and people are mean. God is at work healing this world, restoring it, saving it. And God invites us to be a part of that movement, to share the gospel. Can you imagine if, if there was a group of Christians that lived like this, like First Peter tells them to live? They would be considered nuts, crazy. People on the outside would look at them and say, what is your deal? You guys are out of your mind. Exactly. Exactly. And when they ask, what do we say? I'm a follower of Jesus. That's why I live this way. Do you want to know about him? I'd be happy to tell you. So I just want to end this morning just quiet. This is a heavy, heavy topic for us. I just want us to all sit and reflect and listen for a moment. This is the question. Only one. What are you saying to me, Holy Spirit? What are you saying to me, Holy Spirit?
Let's pray together. Thank you.